0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com.
1: Welcome, guys, wherever you're watching this, different parts of the country or the world. That's my spiel beginning line. Um, whether you join us live or here, welcome. You could be seated if you're here. The heart of Mark chapter 10, the story of the young Rich Ruler is about a collision of noble values and a collision of competing commitments. You see, when I was a kid, and I used to go to youth group in Sunday school, the gospel presentation was usually, is either drugs or Jesus. And the contrast was really clear, and I was like, well... I saw that drug commercial where they fry an egg on a fry pan, beware of drugs. And I was like, I don't want that, so I want Jesus. And sometimes the church polarizes evil or sin to following or following God or the essence of the spiritual life. But for most people living in the city, flourishing in their life, the greatest enemy to the spiritual life is not actually sin, Or evil, but good things. There's G-O-D, tell someone next in your blanket, G-O-D, and there's G-O-O-D. Just one letter, but it literally determines your sovereignty and God's sovereignty over your life. And what we see in our lives, especially in my life, I see these collision of noble values colliding in my life all the time. Like for example, I've been on a diet for about two decades. Sometimes effective, but mostly not effective because I have the collision of wanting a six-pack, but then having a dot dad bod. Because my appetite for indulgence is noble, right? My I love sushi buffets but buffets render my diet obsolete. But this constraint of wanting to look good versus to indulge, <laughs> is it constant tension? How many people know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm, saying? <laughs> I'm not 21, right? Snicker bars, oh, donuts, the enemy of my life. Sometimes our diets, which is about what, restraint, is overcome by passion. Now, th- this tension between passion and cognition, between reason and passion, has been the story of ancient civilization till now. Right? Greece, ancient Greece, is known for the greatest philosophers—Plato, Socrates, etc.—but they defaulted on their debt like eight thousand times, and they have nap times at noon. No, their economy is not growing. Why you can't pay down your debt? So. Passion usually wins, even overcomes the greatest minds. And so when we come to this text, let's go there. I just have two basic outlines for Mark 17 17 here, Mark 10, verse 17 to 31. I'm, I'm gonna do a whole series on the idea of the rich young ruler. But the point of the story The lesson and for the next few weeks later on on video I'll go more into the text but here's the point of the story the point is sometimes the greatest enemy to the spiritual life is not evil but good the greatest enemy to the spiritual life is not evil but good that's the definition of an idol An idol is when good transcends the supremacy of God. The definition of an idol is when gifts transcend the giver. And when you come to this text, the young rich ruler, to categorically define him, he's not some pagan investment banker profiled in Vanity Fair using Tinder on the weekends. The rich young ruler is serious about his faith. That's why if you read the text, in verse 17, it says that as Jesus started on his way, meaning Jesus was leaving, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees for reverence, and said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? So the young rich ruler is not struggling would explicit paganism, okay, he goes to church. He has some priorities in check. He's a believer, not a pagan. And a lot of times in your own spiritual life, in our spiritual life, what will keep you from making God first place in your life? It won't be drugs always. <laughs> well, that's like when I was 16, they talked about being a gangster, or drug dealer. That wasn't very compelling. But what about career? What happens when you become a medical student or an attending or a resident when they work you like a dog? Right, Pat? They, they drive you crazy. They make you work 60 hours, 70 hours. What do you do when you need to sleep versus... Do something spiritual, go to church, go to a small group, read the Bible. I mean, working your career, I mean, it's very, extremely difficult to get into medical school today. I mean, all the people in our church, if they apply, they might not get in now. Serious, because it's becoming that competitive. At Harvard, when I was at Harvard Medical School doing my fellowship, they were like, all the professors kept saying, I don't know if we would get in now if you applied because it's just that competitive. So, yeah, so, so there is this value of something good like career, a prestigious career even. What becomes competitive to your spiritual life is that prestige, is that good. And there's other things in the spiritual life that like this young rich ruler struggles. His struggle wasn't that he didn't love God. He just what? Loved something more than God. Good, G-O-O-D replaced G-O-D. And it superseded it. And so if you look at the text, it says very clearly, we look at verse 22, at this man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I want to go here a little bit on the alt-left because I've been talking a lot about the alt-right. Wealth... Tell someone next to you in your blanket, wealth is not evil. You're like, no, yes they are, they're evil, they're corrupt. No, 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 the Bible never says wealth is evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil because money is not sentient. Okay, I can't talk to you, does it? Then you know you're struggling inside. I mean, the idea of taxing billionaires, looking at Amazon, I mean, people like to hate on Amazon, but hey, I use Amazon every day. Amazon created value for society to do things easier, like, well, they shouldn't do that. Well, think about it, okay? Capitalism is about contributing to societal good, to make life better for everybody hating on Amazon just because Bezos is the richest person in the world because everybody needs it now doesn't make it evil. His ex-wife basically is giving her money away at an amazing clip during philanthropy. So, if you're hating people because they're rich or society or, you know, Wall Street or whatever because they're making money, that's wrong. The Bible never says money is evil. Money can do a lot of good. Feed the poor, right? Perpetuate social justice. Many things like that. The Bible says the root of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. So in this text, it's not that money is evil. No, what? The hold of money has taken over God being the first place of his life. And that's really where the spiritual life detours in cities like New York. Other competing, competing values. People start having families. People, Kids start playing sports. And you know, one of the greatest epidemics, spiritual epidemics in the United States is that most families disappear from church in urban areas in major cities because it becomes very difficult to juggle those commitments. Church, faith, God, and family. And you begin to see families disappear from the church. Not because they're evil or they don't love God per se. Other competing commitments has what? Taken over. That's what happens. So the question I have for you is, what is the greatest enemy of your spiritual life? Because sometimes it is the good, the competing commitments, competing values in your life. And that will be really our struggle, our battle in this city. So I pray the Spirit today will show you what those things are. Because if you look at this text, look at verse 18 when Jesus answers the question, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God. And then he answers in verse 18, You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus specifically skips of the Ten Commandments, the first four. Because this guy was great in the last six. What's the first commandment? Thou shall not what? Have any other gods before what? Me. When I got married, the rule is called Bay, right? Before others. Even when you date, there are laws. Oh, they don't tell you this. You've got to find out. And you get into a lot of trouble if you break these laws. Like seeing a movie without your girlfriend. I didn't know that at first. You shouldn't go to a restaurant. At one time, I had this fried chicken place. And I was married and (laughs) it was, it was, I think at blue ribbon, this demonic person invited me. I mean, but I, you know, I think my wife was mad at me for a month. You want fried chicken, huh? You never wanted fried chicken again. Because when you put, I mean, the competing commitment there wasn't adultery, even though she acted like I committed adultery. It was just fried chicken and sushi at Blue Ribbon. But you had it without what? Me. (laughs) I was like, this is crazy. But that's what it means. When you put God before even anything, anything good, it becomes the idol, right? The definition of idol is God in disguise, meaning if you knew it was an idol, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't sacrifice on the altar something you say you worship, you you love with all your heart. No, you just don't know because it's implicit and overt that takes place. It suddenly breaks in. And that happens all the time. I mean, if the devil showed up at your front door and be like in a demonic voice, worship me. I mean, would you? Be like, this is retarded. No, the enemy comes implicitly, overtly, seductively. that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. And a lot of times the way we combat spir- the spiritual warfare in spiritual life, they're implicit, they're overt and that's what weighs. And so before you know it, subtly and then suddenly you're worshiping something you say you would never worship, but you are because that's what you value the most. You value it even more than what you say you love the most. So the question is, is God first place in your life? Because you might care about God, you might even love God, but do you love something more? That happens suddenly, and this is what's happening in this passage. And that's why the point is what? Sometimes the greatest enemy to the spiritual life is not evil but good in competing values and competing commitments. I pray the Spirit show you what they are. Okay, what's the lesson as we wrap up? What's the point of church, spiritual formation, discipleship? Why are we here? What is the church's aim? What is the Great Commission? Well, we'll say, well, the church is we're supposed to offer worship. What is worship? Well, I want to grow. That's why I come to church. Well, what are you growing into? I don't know. I just want to grow. (laughs) What happens if you keep growing without an outlet? You become fat. I know all about this. You need an outlet. So what's the lesson? The lesson is the singular aim of this text, the singular aim of discipleship is the sovereignty of the individual Meaning your sovereignty. Tell someone next to you, your sovereignty. And you go, wow, I'm sovereign? Yes, you're sovereign of your choices. You are, in a sense, king of your own autonomy as a sentient individual. You make choices. If you want to pray, you have to choose to pray. You want to go to church, you have to choose to go to church. You choose to read the Bible. You are, in a sense, as a sentient being, have the autonomy of sovereignty. Meaning you choose what you will do. So then the singular aim of discipleship in this passage is that the sovereignty of the individual being fully surrendered to the sovereignty of Christ. If a church does not do that, if a community of faith does not help you transition your sovereignty to God's sovereignty, that's not spiritual formation. It's not skimming or massaging sovereignty. It's surrendering control of your life to him completely look what Jesus says teacher he declared in verse 20 all these I have kept since I was the boy the last six of the Ten Commandments and then Jesus in first in verse 21 talks about the first four Jesus looked at him and loved him I want you to look at someone and love them right now lovingly look at him oh I love you you're cute But are you putting God first in your life, first place in your life? Jesus looked at him, said, and loved him. Enduringly, look at him. But one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow after me. This is not about money. I'm not even talking about money here. Jesus knew the idol in his life was the control money gives him nobody wants money unless you're like scrooge mcduck and you want to swim in gold or dollar bills that's you might need to see counselor for that but money gives you autonomy and freedom that's why people want money and the idol in the young rich little's life was that it was more important to him than following jesus and following God because it's not something he could give up. And he was surprised by that. The text says he went away sad because he had great wealth. Wealth is not evil, it's to hold the wealth. C.S. Lewis talks about that in in Mere Christianity. He says that when a man thinks he finds a place in the world through prosperity when it actually finds a place in him. And so, prosperity found, almost demonically found a place in him, in, in Mammon. The love of money and control. And that's what it took place. And the difficult conversation in this text is that he couldn't surrender. And the whole point of being a Christian, the whole point of discipleship is singular, is transfer of your sovereignty to his sovereignty. That's the point. that's it. nothing more, nothing less. I remember in our own church as we began in a basement in Staten Island. you're like, well where's your church in a basement in another church? <laughs> you're like wow, that's low I'm like yeah it's in the lowest level. <laughs> and our creative director Henry Kim who's I mean let's give Henry a hand here he's been our creative director has been amazing during the pandemic uh, with a newborn was just was driving him crazy his wife and uh, not his wife but his newborn (laughs) and um, and then doing the videos that they're some somewhat you know watchable so that you're seeing me for like a year and a half and then you're like oh this is so but Henry makes it palatable you know he's done a great job but he wasn't always like that uh, he, I mean, he volunteered for media when you know he, he was going to SVA, and then he got into film school in California. And you know, I just sensed in in Henry's life. One day, I had a difficult conversation about the question of sovereignty: is God fully? Are you fully surrendered? And Henry was like, "This is what Henry told me." And Anmin was there too, um, one of our dads in our church. And Henry said, "Are you kidding me?" I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just asking you. I want you to fully surrender your life to Christ. You know, um, I think he's inviting you. He's like, I'm volunteering in a church at a basement. I pick up this camera. I volunteer my time, and now you want my life? <laughs> my parents gave me everything to become rich and famous. You got to be. Jesus wants my whole life. And then he almost literally started punching him in because he, he he knew he shouldn't fight me. I was much bigger than him. You know. But he left, slammed the door, and I told the story. This is a story of a patriarch in the making. Henry is a patriarch in any the story, in any community. The fact that you can actually do this thing in the city, the fact that you can be a man and a woman and surrender your sovereignty, draw (laughs) land—it's going to be messy. I hope so. Difficult conversation. I mean, you ever had a difficult conversation and it was not difficult? Of course not. Transferring your sovereignty to the sovereignty of Christ is always difficult. Henry went actually left (laughs) about four or five times before he came back, and he said, "All right, let's do this." We're like, "What? Do what? Surrender?" We got on our knees and we prayed to Jesus, and then he tells his parents, "It was too soon, Dad, Mom, I'm be homeless for Jesus." I'm going to go work for Jesus. The parents are like, you crazy, man. You're going to actually be homeless following Jesus. He goes, I don't care. The contrast was funny. Because last week he was about to beat us up. And the week after, he completely surrendered. Folks, it doesn't matter if you come to 180 in the future or you're, you're moving somewhere else. How do you know the temperature of spiritual health in a faith community. There has to be difficult conversations about sovereignty. There has to be conversations about surrender in different parts of our life. Because the church is not, in in the end, if you reduce it down, it's not about the service or the activities or even the community. It's about Jesus and following him. That's the central, singular aim Of discipleship and usually the competing values and competing commitments get in the way but I pray those difficult conversations happen in your life I pray that your sovereignty is transferred progressively more and more every year to the sovereignty of Christ the man away, went away sad. But if you read the text, the disciples who were following Jesus—which I'm going to go more into in the next few weeks in this text—have a conversation to Jesus. The disciples say they were amazed and said, "Who can be saved?" And Jesus, what is impossible for man is what possible for God. It is possible. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. You know, here's the thing about following Christ and being a Christian. It's not about, first it's the blessing. But eventually it has to become about the Lord. First it becomes about the gift. But it has to become about the giver. pray today that we would have a heart check that our sovereignty is being challenged by the spirit, by our peers, by our community Jesus says seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything shall be added onto you as well, because your Father knows you need them. People tell me, especially in healthcare, there's no way I could be one. If I take a break, if I do faith in healthcare. And I said, well, you're an idiot. And they're like, that's so mean because I've seen people do it. I've seen medical students drive hours and hours to make an effort. I've seen most of our patriarchs in our physician, in our doctors, in our church community, all become chief residents, meaning that's top 10% of your class. Living a surrendered life, putting God first, And if you read this text carefully, it says that God will reward every single person. Jesus says every single person who leaves their field, who sacrifices and put God first, will be rewarded. And I've seen people flourish. Now, don't do it because you want to flourish, because that's the prosperity gospel. Do it because you want to. You want to put God first and obey. Because obedience is better than sacrifice, because sacrifice is still about sovereignty of how much I'm going to give up. Obedience is about His sovereignty. So let's make this our prayer. along, you're beside me.
2: Beside me, even when I could enter. Through the years, you show me more of you. me now in your hands I belong you'll never, let me go. you'll never let me go so close I believe you're holding me now in your hands I belong you'll
1: never let me go let's pray together father we come before you With the foundation of future grace. Paul argues in Romans 8 if God would not spare his only begotten Son, why would he freely not give you all good things? The cross is evidence. You want logic, you want empirical evidence. There it is. God sacrificed the great morning star, the treasure of heaven, to secure for us an eternal value. He cares more about your flourishing than you do. Just that some of us (laughs) got this crazy idea that we're smart or something. We know, we, know, we know shortcuts. We know how to get there. We have a better idea than God. Okay, God has a universe you don't. Relax. God cares more about your flourishing. If you have taken your life into your own hands, and I know that's the American way, pulling yourself from the bootstrap. and I believe that, but there's God's part. Faith is about becoming like a child, Jesus says about becoming born again, learning again. Will you put your life in God's hands again? Say, God, I want to put my life in your hands. I believe that you have a future and a hope. I want to follow you and the masterpiece you are writing for me. bow your heads for the benediction Then, right after we'll go into our blankets and you can enjoy your lunch and great conversations today may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore all God's people say amen God bless you guys enjoy have a great day
0: Is Min Young. I'm a member here at 180 church and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, there are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 180 church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment methods shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at church 180, Zelle and Chase Quick Pay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180church, which is available on text at 5397PRAYER, and also via email at prayer at 180church.tv. This is a resource for everybody, and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, If your prayers have been answered, you can also share them on the text hotline, and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with the group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180Church and also at 180BRG where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. We also have the 180 Church podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends, where you can tune into a conversation and a dialogue that goes into into the Word a little bit deeper with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lu, who's a member of our community here. It's always a great time just listening to them um, converse about how the message has spoke to them and has impacted them, and you can see how it can do the same for you. We also have a Virtual 180 Cafe on the Discord app where you guys can come hang out at any time in different groups on different channels. And it's an easy way to stay connected with the community and also check in with one another. As you might have seen on our social media channels, we launched a care package delivery service called 180 Cares and this is a great way to um, show appreciation and love to the people in our lives that, mean, that may need some encouragement. If you'd like to send one of these boxes or just want to learn more, you can go check out our website at 180church.tv 180cares.
2: And lastly, if you've been blessed by our Sunday worship led by Pastor Lydia, You can visit the 180 Church Studios on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Here you'll find a playlist of all the worship songs we featured every Sunday, and it's perfect for when you want to immerse yourself in worship during the week. That's all of our community news. Once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us this Sunday, and we hope to see you again soon. Bye.